It is estimated that there are over one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. One billion trillion, that is a one with 21 zeros after it. And whatever the number, it is humanly unfathomable. Galaxies of the universe filled with innumerable stars. Some of them are shining in, in magnificence because we can see them and others seem to be hidden, but they exist nonetheless, whether we see them or not. And when you recognize their greatness, it puts the spotlight on God. It gives perspective to his greatness. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's in the present tense. The heavens are declaring that the sky is proclaiming God's work on continual display, constantly showing us the glory of God. Even before the Big Bang Theory, scientists and atheists all admitted the universe was eternal. Einstein's theories and physics and what have you, they all said the universe began. Romans 1.20 tells us since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So you are without excuse for rejecting God or doing evil. You need only to look at the world to realize that God exists. But to be saved... You need a Bible. To be saved, you need the gospel, and you need faith in Christ. And God's word declares his glory and reveals God's promised plan to save. The God who hung every star in its place and holds them there, and they can't move without his permission, holds all things together by the word of his power. He spoke his trustworthy word, and his primary concern is his glory. And the only response that is appropriate is to trust God's promise and praise his glory. Trust his promise, praise his glory. This is what Jude 24 and 25 tells us. Christ's half-brother Jude, a humble servant of Jesus, bond slave of Christ, submitted to the lordship of Christ, wrote to beloved believers... And he, and he says to, to the church, contend, comes from a, a word that we get the word agony from, struggle earnestly for the faith once for all delivered, the body of truth, the body of salvation truth the, that has been handed down, that is complete, the scriptures, the word of God that, that is inspired and infallible and inerrant and eternal and conscience binding and authoritative. Contend for the faith. Jude wanted to write about our common salvation. But it was necessary to write about contending for the faith that had been twisted by God's enemies. This was not a civil war. This was an invasion. Ungodly people lacking love for Christ and his church and the word of God. And they were trying to change God's grace into ungodly living. They were denying Jesus Christ. They advocated unhealthy doctrine. They advocated ungodly living. And Jude says, fight for this purposeful cause. It's like an athletic competition. Many of us have been watching the Olympics for uh, several weeks now, and it's like Olympics 
uh, and the Olympians are contending for a medal, right? They want to get up on the podium. They're struggling. They're giving all their effort. They've come to this moment, and they're, they're going for it. Jude has addressed a very crucial need for the church to fight, to contend, because some had snuck in undetected. He describes their treachery of these false teachers over uh, uh, verses 5 through 16, and he's just word picture after pithy word picture describing their, their treachery. He comes near the end of this very short letter, and he launches into five imperatives. We've seen them all. The first was remember God's word. Believe the predictions of the apostles. Beware the practices of apostates. And keep going in God's love. Build up in God's word. Pray for God's will. Wait for God's son to return. And last time we saw three rapid fire commands. They were all about showing mercy. Remind those who doubt. Rescue those in danger. Refute those that are defiled. And do it all with a tender heart that is merciful, that wants to help and bless. You want to help and bless those being deceived. And then Jude ends with this magnificent doxology. A, a praise to God. He just gives praise to God. I call this the king of doxologies. This is my favorite Burst of praise to God in the whole Bible. He is exalting the sovereign God. He is, he is summing up his works. He is pointing to future glory. He is, he is telling us, here's who's in charge. Here's how it's going to work out. End of story. Now, if you look in the Bible, many letters close with a benediction. In fact, oftentimes, I will close our services with Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. I love these words. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It's a great benediction. It closes off the letter to the Hebrews. And then there's a mini doxology at the end. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jude he concludes with a full-on doxology, and it's very fitting because this, this is a short sermon. So this is fitting for a sermon. He concludes with a doxology, and he's reminding us of the heart and soul of the Christian life. How important this is for slaves of Christ who are chosen and kept. They are to contend for the faith. They are to know that God judges evil. They are to persevere with mercy, and they are to trust God's promise as they praise his glory. This doxology follows the pattern of other New Testament doxologies. There's four things that happen in each one of them. First, God is addressed. He's the one who deserves all praise, so he is addressed. Second, glory and honor is heaped upon God. Third, the endless duration of his praise is mentioned forever and ever. And then lastly, a concluding amen. Jude has all four of these elements. And he's making this point. Trusting God's promise leads to praising his glory. When you trust the promise of God, you can't help but praise the glories of his grace in Christ. We are to trust God's promise. Look at verse 24. This is how it begins. Now to him 
Put your eyes on verse 24. This is about trusting God's powerful promise. You need to trust God's powerful promise. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's speaking of his power. It's addressing the one who is able. It addresses God, the one who is able. There's a lot of things in life that put the spotlight on man, right? We've been watching these Olympics and uh, athletes are being glorified. But God puts the spotlight on God. And he says, now to him who is able. That's powerful. It comes from a word that means powerful to do as he wills. He can do whatever he wants. Faithful as he who calls you, he will bring it to pass. To him who is able. What is he able to do? And we see in this verse two things he's able to do. He is able to keep you and to present you. He is he's able to powerfully keep you, literally to preserve you. He will preserve you. He will present you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. This word keep keeps coming up in Jude. Keep or kept. Verse 1, he's addressing believers that are kept by Jesus Christ. And then he's going to sum this up at the end. Kept by Jesus Christ. He speaks of those in verse 6 that are kept, the evil that are kept in eternal chains. In verse 13, that are kept for the gloom of utter darkness. But then he gets to verse 21, and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. The same word keeps getting used. Continue on in Christ. Keep here means to guard and protect with guards. Like you've got guards all around you. It's the idea of protection and safety. It's very prominent. Protection, safety for those that have been chosen by God. And it's actually to prevent escaping. Like, you can't even get yourself out of what God has chosen. And you should be very glad about that because you waver, but God is faithful. That Jesus is able to keep you if you're a believer in Jesus. He is going to keep you. And what will he keep you? From stumbling. He will guard you Literally, without falling. It pictures a, a sure-footed horse that's going along a trail. It uh, pictures a sure-footed hiker that doesn't slip. A steady hiker. The idea is that God is going to keep you from stumbling into the sins of the apostates, the spiritual spies. He's going to uphold you. And you'll notice that it doesn't say that you might be kept from falling. Like you might He might do this for you if you're good enough. No, he will do it. You will be kept from falling by his grace. This is God's intent. He has determined for this to happen. He's going to preserve you. He's going to protect you. He's going to keep you. Even in verse 24, it's not the same exact word in Greek that is used in verse 1 and 6 and 13 and 21, but it has the same idea that God is going to preserve believers from apostasy. It doesn't mean you're never going to sin. It doesn't mean you're never going to stumble and fall into a sin. It means that God is going to give you grace to desire to keep on going in Christ and keep yourself in his love even when you stumble and fall into sin because you will not ultimately stumble and fall. And what he's saying is that at the, at the end, instead of stumbling, you will stand. Instead of falling at your, on your face, you will see him face to face. Because all Christians stumble. Every one of us knows we, we stumble in many ways. But God will not let you ultimately fall. 
he will keep you. That's his promise. This is the difference between Peter and, and Judas. A repenter and a rejecter. Both were imperfect stumblers. Unbelievers fall forever. Believers stumble temporarily and get up and return to Christ. I was watching a, one of the, the uh, running relay heats in the Olympics recently, and someone fell down in the middle of a race and, and got back up and, and finished the race and, and made up some ground. Like a runner who falls and gets back up, you're going to get back up because God will give you grace to get back up and keep going because God is powerfully preserving you. He's keeping you going. You're not keeping yourself going. If you're a Christian, you're not keeping yourself in Christ by your own power. If it was under your power, the outcome would be in doubt. God will powerfully preserve you, and also he will powerfully present you. He preserves you to present you. The last part of verse 24 says he will present you blameless. None of us feel blameless right now. We're all feeling blameworthy, like I've done so many things wrong. He will powerfully preserve you and he will present you. He will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. As you're stumbling through life right now, you don't feel very blameless and sometimes you don't have that much joy. And he will present you. Learning means to place right there in front of himself to present you. And he's going to do so, you're going to be blameless. That means faultless, without any fault, without, without any blame. All of us who are so blameworthy, no blame. It literally means no blemish, no spot. That word is used in, in the Bible of very significant things. This, this idea of blamelessness or faultlessness, it's, it's used of Old Testament sacrifices. They needed to be perfect and without blemish. Exodus 29, 1, take one bull and two rams without blemish. You see this over and over again. The sacrifices offered to God need to be undefiled. This word is used of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. 1 Peter 1, 19, he is the lamb unblemished, the perfect lamb of God. It's used of, of believers on the day of judgment. Colossians 1.22 says, He has reconciled you by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. To put you, to set you down in his presence. In the Old Testament, it's like, you can't see me and live. When Moses said, show me your glory in Exodus 33, God's like, I don't know if you know what you're asking for. And here, God is promising he's going to present you holy and blameless. And the way Jude uses this term is of believers on the day of judgment. You're not going to be perfect in this life. You're not going to be sinless in this life. God is going to, to, to make his own who do not abandon him blameless on that day, standing in the righteousness of Christ. He's going to complete the saving work that he started in you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's going to present you before the presence of his glory. Literally before the face of, coram Deo, before the face of God, in the presence of God. It's the idea of, of an offering. He's presenting you as an offering to himself. 
He's, he's going to present you before him. You're going to stand in the presence of his glory, all because of Christ. A, a full-on gift of grace and nothing more. You, you'll be considered blameless, reckoned righteous, and it's an act of God that he will do because he has promised to do it. And if you're doubting it right now because your life is just messed up or your heart is, is in shambles, you need to trust the promise of God if you are kept by Christ. If you are in Christ, you need to know this is an act of God that he will do, and he has purposed it before the foundation of the world, before the world began, and it is as good as done. He will keep you. He's not throwing you away. He's not tossing you aside. He's not casting you off. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you believe that? Is your soul strengthened by that? Is, is this the anchor for your soul, your hope in Christ? It's as good as done for a believer. You will stumble and you will fall in life. You will stumble into sin. You will fall. You might even do so dramatically in ways that make you think, how could God even save me? But you will not ultimately fall. Your final destiny in Christ is fixed. You're going to stand in his presence. And you're going to do so with great joy. We slug it out here on earth and we, and we have a lot of misery and we have a lot of pain. And, and there will be a day that we will stand before the presence of God in his glory with great joy. His and yours. We talk about how there's joy in heaven when a, when a, when a sinner repents. There's joy in heaven when a sinner arrives. Jeff, our brother Jeff Lordson, brother Dwayne Schaefer, his hope is fixed in Christ. They're, they're, they're before the presence of God with, with great joy. All the misery of life, all the pain of life, all the, the pain of their sickness, all the, all the tragedy that they went through in their life is gone, and they're in the presence of God with great joy. We can only take a, get a foretaste of it right now. I can barely even imagine what that might be like. This idea of with great joy is literally just lots and lots of rejoicing. It's exceeding joy. Think of the happiest you've ever been in your entire life. It's that multiplied exponentially with lots and lots of zeros after it. Think of all the joy that you've experienced in life and they're just foretastes of the joy that you will experience when you are in the presence of God's glory. It, the idea is you're, you're, you're joyful with exultation, joy upon joy upon joy. The idea is leaping for joy. This word has end times overtones. It's, it's the idea of, of, of the jubilation of God's chosen people at Christ's return. Great joy on the day of the Lord. The hope of every believer. Your joy will bring honor to God as you proclaim him your preserver on that day. Lord God, you have preserved me. In, in your grief, in your trouble, you can have joy. The Bible over and over again says this, that, that whatever you go through, you can, have, you can have joy. And that joy is always springing from thoughts of God. It is always joy 
not thinking about ourselves, but thinking about the greatness of God. Like in the middle of your pain, in the middle of, of the depths of despair, where you start to remind yourself of gospel truth, joy can spring up in your heart because you don't manufacture it. God gives it to you. Paul told the Corinthians, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, those of us that are just racked with guilt over our sins, you'll be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 121 hinted at it. Actually, I'm not going to say hinted. It, it, went, it went big on it. Here, here's what Psalm 121 says. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Speaking to believers, God is going to keep you. He's going to preserve you, and he's going to present you. Paul says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's going to rescue me from my own evil deeds and from other people's evil deeds and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All that fits is a doxology at that moment, a burst of praise to God. He says, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also, with Jesus, raise us also and bring us with you into his presence. He will present the church to himself in, in splendor, magnificence. He told the Colossians, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. You will be there. The unseen keeping God ultimately will preserve his church. This is what we're banking our life upon. If the dead are not raised, we are of most to be pitied. But the dead are in fact raised and we will be most joyful. You've probably never heard of Robert Chapman. He lived from 1803 to 1902 and he was Hudson Taylor's close friend. He was a spiritual mentor to George Mueller, Spurgeon called him the saintliest man I ever knew. And many thought, kind of superstitiously, that God especially protected him. Unbelievers would even want to be around him so they wouldn't, you know, be harmed in any way. And once he boarded a stagecoach, and the coachman said, you need not insure your life today. Mr. Chapman is going with us. On a train he was once riding, it went up a steep, scary hill, and, and a woman panicked, and the conductor said, no danger, Mr. Chapman is on the train. But here's the truth about every Christian. You are invincible until God has ordained that he would take you home, till the moment that you are, have been preordained to leave this earth. You are invincible. We have had so many promises in our life that have been unkept. Politicians and leaders and captains and kings and families and friends and you and me, we have not kept our promises. Campaign promises, military promises, marriage promises. We promise to do something. We guarantee it's going to happen and then we're disappointed because humans let us down. And we doubt if other promises will be kept. And we get skeptical. We start to question motives. But God's promises are unchanging. They are there to assure you. You've seen God do things over and over and over again that he said he would do. 
He said he would save. And he has saved so many. He said he would heal. He said he would protect. He said he would, he would be with us forever. What, what Jude is saying here in this doxology is God's going to get you there. You're going to get to the final destination, so you keep on going. Even if you think you don't have any more strength left, you keep on going. You will, you will get there because God will get you there. You know, you're watching the Olympics, and you're like, if you're running, let's say, the, you know, the 400, you've got to run it on your own, okay? All your friends can't, like, carry you, okay? But unlike the Olympics, the Christian life is God is carrying you. God is going to carry you over the finish line. He's going to get you up on the podium. You feel like you don't have any strength sometimes? God is strong, and he is going to present you faultless because you've been declared righteous because of Christ. He is working in you what is pleasing in his sight. Don't be reckless, though. Just live with reckless abandon that you know that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Know his greatness. He's keeping you. So you can have security. So you can have assurance. Eternal security is a doctrine in the Bible that you must strongly believe. Assurance of salvation is a state of mind, a state of heart that God wants you to have. Eternal security is a state of being. It's based on a biblical doctrine that you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose eternal life. John 6, 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's all you need. That one verse, that's all you need. But I'll give you more because the, the Bible is chock full of them. John 6, 40, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then 6, 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You either think Jesus is a liar or you're going to believe what he says. Some of you got bad teaching and you came in here today and you're like, I think I might lose my salvation. It's not from the Bible. The Bible is clear. There is security in Christ. You cannot lose eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Remember John 3, 16? Whosoever believes in him will not perish. If you're believing that you can lose your salvation, you're not believing the gospel. And usually only pride keeps us there. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. No one can take you away from Jesus. The idea that you can lose your salvation is tied to works righteousness. It goes against the gospel. Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He always lives to make intercession for them. He is keeping you now. And, and you, you are afraid that your soul is in jeopardy? You do need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, but when you know you're in the faith, you are kept. God's power ensures your security in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says it beautifully, strongly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading. I mean, three in a row there. It's not going away. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Where is there any inkling in there that you might not really get that if you're a believer in Jesus? Don't attribute to God the lies of man. Believe what God said. Trust his promise. He's faithful. He's not going back on his word. You can bank on it. Believe the Bible. Believe it. He is going to powerfully preserve you and he is going to present you. It's going to happen. It won't be taken away. In Christ you have certainty. In Christ you have security. There's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of uncertainty for the one who refuses to believe these things. Where you're not free, you're more bound than ever. But if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed from the power and penalty of sin, free from lies. And Jude trusted God's promise. You and I need to trust God's promise. And then he praised the glory of God because he trusted God's promise. You praise God from whom all blessings flow. You praise his preeminence. Look at verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. To the only God, our Savior, exclusive, settled, strong, the only Savior, the only God saves. This was up against the polytheism of the Gentile world. This is up against the polytheism, polytheism of our world, where people are saying you can get saved all different ways. No, there's one Savior, Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the only mediator between God and man. There is no other way to be saved. Get that clear in your mind. If you think there's some other way to be saved, you'll go out looking for it. No, trust the only Savior. Usually Jesus is called Savior in the, in the New Testament, but God is also called Savior too, where it says the only God our Savior. In Titus 2, it says, showing all good faith, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. A few verses later, it says, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, is saving his people. And, and this fits in the context. God is our Savior. False teachers are threatening the church. Believers need rescue from the evil plans. God the Father, our Savior, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. To him, to him be glory. And glory is, is weighty significance. We honor God for his saving work and he who protects and saves and preserves. You ascribe everything due him. It is owed to him. That's why Paul told the Romans, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Glory and also majesty. Majesty is greatness. He is worthy of the honor that is due him his exalted position, as one person put it, his awful transcendence, as one person put it. First Chronicles 29, 11 says, yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. It, all, it just builds. All is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. Over all. He is the king of kings. He is, he is majestic in glory. 
majestic in beauty. To him be dominion. That's his might. It's, it's the idea he's in charge of everything. He rules over all. Revelation 1.6, it's to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. And then authority. That's his authority to rule. That's his, his legitimate power. Apostates will try to trip, trip you up, try to trick you. But God speaks authoritatively. Everything he says is going to come true. Everything is bound by his word. Because it says now, right here in this verse, this is all true. And we don't make it true. It already is true. It's before all time and now and forever. So to God be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. You don't give him those things. He has those things. He is those things. Before all time and now and forever. There's, there's the last triple in Jude. There's the last triad in Jude. Past, present, and future. Before all time, now, forever. All praise to God for all time. The glory, the, the majesty, the power, the dominion, the authority have always belonged to God forever. You can rest secure in this. This is, this is why you can trust that he is keeping you and preserving you. And we'll present you. And also this doxology ends with amen. This is the way it is. This is the way it shall be. Truly, amen, regularly closes doxologies. It's a seal of confidence that God is able. And the Holy Spirit put it there. Now your vision might be cloudy today. You might be wavering. You might be wondering. The universe, though, is not in jeopardy because of your heart and mind. 1 Corinthians 8.5 says, there are so many so-called gods and lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. God says in Isaiah, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I don't have time to, to read it now, but you should look at Daniel 6 and 7 later. You, you see Daniel, when he was probably in his early 80s, he's trusting God, he's praising God, he has people coming after him for it, and, and they make this law, you, you can't pray to anyone but Darius. And Daniel keeps praying to the one true God, and he gets thrown into a pit of lions. He praises God who preserves his life. And you get into Daniel 7, and the Ancient of Days is reigning, God Almighty, the only true God, and the Son of Man, given dominion and a kingdom, Jesus Christ, forever, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You need, you need to praise this, this God. You, you need to praise this God who preserves and will present you, who is preeminent. He can take care of all the things you're dealing with right now. You can praise him. Praise is, is where you recognize his trustworthiness and who he is. 
when, when evil seems to be winning, when, when love seems to be waning, when the world is getting worse and, and the end is drawing near, you, you focus on his sovereign preeminence. You're in the trenches and you say, I'm going to do what I'm called to do. I'm going to rise above the clouds and I'm going to see the glory of God above it all. I'm going to stand back in awestruck wonder like I'm looking at a, like a, sun, a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset in the middle of a fire or in the middle of a storm. The majesty of God will drive your life. Your merciful ministry will drive your life and your merciful ministry. I want to make some some closing comments as we conclude Jude, as we leave Jude. It's, it's only right as we, as we leave this book. We've spent, what, eight weeks or so, nine weeks in. Let's talk about contending earnestly, shall we? Like, what does it really look like? What, what does it take? What, what do you do? You wake up Monday morning and, and you want to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered. What does it, what does it look like? I would submit to you that you would first need to Praise God and, and then foster a, a listening mindset where you don't speak right away, but you, you listen to someone first and then speak clearly. That you would ask a person who is against the gospel or caving into wrong ideas, you would ask them some questions like, like what brought you to your, to your present place of position or lifestyle? Please share your story with me. How did you get where you are right now? You would ask them, what do you like about your beliefs or, or your lifestyle? You would ask them, what kind of challenges or questions are you having? What kind of doubts might you have? You would ask them, how, how is it working for you? Is there anything missing with what you've got? Is there, are there any gaps? And, and you, don't, you don't condemn them, but you don't condone their sin. You, you don't celebrate their sin. You don't condemn them for their sin. You just connect relationally and bring even comfort in their life and, and correct wrong thinking, like we looked at last week. But you come alongside and be a friend that would help and bless. And then you would turn and, and answer those same questions, and most likely they're going to say, well, you tell me now. I mean, how do you, how do you refute apostasy? How do you, how do, you do this? Well, you, you mercifully give them the message of the majestic, magnificent God who saved your soul. You, you tell them that there's mercy with Christ. There's misery in our sin, but there's mercy in the Savior. And, and that the praiseworthy thing that God did in your heart and life is the praiseworthy message you need to give to, to them. Give them that message. Don't keep it from them. Show them Jesus with your life and your words. Don't let your, don't let your life pull out the rug from underneath your words. But if you're going to contend and not cave in, you're going to need to worship Jesus and, and then listen up and, and then speak clearly. Secondly, you're going to need to trust God's promise to keep you. and you, We have to keep reminding ourselves, I need to trust God's promise because my mind is going to tell me other things. And your mind is not preeminent. God is. You need to lean heavily on eternal security. It's a biblical doctrine. You need to live with assurance of salvation where your state of mind is shaped by the word of God, where you know my security is rooting in God's character, in his perfections, in his preservation, and it's going to lead me to praise him. 
Read Psalm 145. There's the, the cry, the, the declaration of someone who trusts in God's promise and praises God's glory. Psalm 145. Some of you today came in today and you have a lack of assurance in, of salvation. You're like, I don't know. Even after hearing all of this, you're like, I don't know. I'm still not sold. You need to believe the word of God. But if you are going through a time where you are lacking assurance of salvation and you think you're a Christian, but you think you might lose it, maybe you have a faulty understanding of the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. God does the saving. God does the saving. Maybe you've received faulty teaching regarding assurance. Maybe you were told, well, you need to do really, really good works and, and make yourself worthy, or maybe you need to speak in tongues, and that'll prove that you're a Christian, or whatever it is. Or maybe you don't have assurance because you just lack an everyday praise mentality where you come to church, you praise God, you live like hell the rest of the week. Those headed to heaven don't live like hell. You can't simultaneously be worshiping and sinning. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you need to confess and repent. Maybe that's why you're lacking assurance. What you need to do is look to the cross. Look to Christ. Remember that Jesus obtained your salvation at the cross and he is maintaining your salvation even now. And he always will. He purchased you. He preserves you. Like, do you believe the gospel? Are you trusting in Jesus? Do you experience remorse over your sin? Do you, do you experience God's discipline when you sin? Do you, do you want to please God? Do you confess your sins? Do you see evidence of fruit of the Spirit in your life? That God is at work in your life? Do you, do you know you are a child of God? And that he is keeping you and will present you because he is preeminent. If that's the case with you, you won't be swept away. The tide won't pull you out. Uh, there are some that are, seem to always, as the word tells us, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. May that not be you and I. May your mind be renewed by the word of God. May you trust the promises at face value. Third, you need to praise God's glory. Keep on praising God's glory. Psalm 33.1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise for you as a believer is always appropriate. It is always fitting. It is always good. A complainer is inappropriate. That is an affront to God. A God praiser is spot on. Think of a diamond in a dark room. And the brilliance is hidden. It's just not even seen. It's there, but it's not even seen. But then you think of that diamond that's on a dark background, illumined by a bright light. You see the magnificence. It's dazzling. There's a convincing beauty. You praise the glories of God's grace. Praise befits those who have been made righteous and upright forever by Christ. So your life should just show the spectrum of God's brilliance, knowing that it doesn't depend on your ability. It depends on God. God's praise does not originate with you. You didn't drum it up. You, you, it flows from the throne of God and it mingles with your heart and you offer it back to him. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Trust in the Lord forever for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. He's the strength. Worship starts at the throne of God and flows to his people and we don't invent it. And praising God fits every occasion. In joy and excruciating pain, I think of my friend Jeff Lordson or Dwayne Schaefer, those have passed on recently, and that you could even, knowing that they are experiencing great joy and delight now, even 
delight in the experience that they are now experiencing while we miss them and grieve for them. And one last thing, very quickly, while you're being joyful, be encouraged. And this is very specific and very personal to Grace Church of Orange. Be encouraged. Your leadership loves you and is thankful for you and trusts you. And I I was even thinking this week, I couldn't think of anyone at Grace who I would put in the category of snuck in undetected. This is a humble body of believers. Keep on repenting. Keep on trusting God. Keep on following Jesus. Keep on connecting in Christ-centered community. Keep on clinging to the word. Be encouraged. And this Jude, which some have called the most neglected book in the New Testament, it's the most important New Testament book for this moment in which we live. It's not neglected at Grace Church of Orange for sure. They keep on reading it. It's not so much about an encroaching culture as it is the church falling to apostasy and following the world. The challenge for us is to regain strength that has been weakened by the twisting of God's word. Because this king of doxologies teaches us trust God's promise and praise his glory with all your heart. Lord, thank you that this is your word, and you want us to trust your promises, which leads to praising your glory, and praising your glory leads to trusting your promises, and you want us to set our minds on, on your glorious greatness, that, that you are the, the king over every intricate detail of creation and, and vast galaxies, and, and you are great and greatly to be praised, and as we see your greatness, in the gospel, that we return thanks and praise you. We know it wasn't our idea to praise you. We know it didn't start with us. It starts with you and flows from your throne and to our hearts, and we give it back to you. Lord, may, may we contend for the faith and continue in Christ as we, as we worship you. We came to Christ upon his mercy and merit and you sustain us. Lord, you have sustained us through so many dangers and toils and snares and you have brought us safe thus far. And we know you will bring us safely home. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.